0: Hello and welcome to Bite Size Strategy, the podcast that provides you with less fluff and more stuff that you can actually use to grow your brand online. In every episode, we cut the banter, we get down to business, and we talk actionable tips and tricks for online marketing, copywriting, optimizing your website, and more. I'm your host, Ashley Kay, a web designer, digital strategist, and all-around nerd. If you would like to connect with me in between episodes, you can give me a follow on Instagram at builditandblossom, or check out builditandblossom.com for more. Hello friends, how's it going? I say that in a little bit of a somber tone of voice because uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now, isn't there? Since I recorded my last episode, a lot has happened over in Ukraine and I am nowhere near Ukraine, but of course I have the internet. It's really impossible to not be involved and like wrapped up in what's going on over there. And it's just a terrible situation and it it, it really affects me. I'm not trying to make this about me, but it's really hard to, you know, just like be like, oh, Wow. War in Ukraine. All right. Moving on with my day. I get really wrapped up into it. I get emotional, Um, but I'm also a really poor speaker, so I don't know. I don't have the words to convey what I'm feeling about the situation over there, and honestly, it doesn't matter because nothing I say and honestly, nothing I do is going to change anything. And that's kind of, I think, why it's such a, it's such a tough pill to swallow, right? Like, we are powerless to really do much. Sure, we can go out and protest in the streets, in our cities, in the U.S. or wherever you're based, but, you know, it's like you want to do more. So, yeah, that's going on. Like I say, I, I, I'm, I'm not the best with my words, so I don't really know how to properly convey um, anything right now, but it's just a tragic situation. I hope that, I don't know, I'm, I was going to say I hope that you're all doing what you can to help, but again, what can you do to help, right? Like, it's just, it's out of our control, and that's so awful. I don't know. I, I just, I really don't know. Um, But in light of recent events, I thought now would be a really good time on this little podcast here that means nothing, but I thought it would be a really good time to go over some digital security tips for solopreneurs, small business owners, and honestly, just everyone, right? So I checked the headlines today, of course. I, I did more than just check the headlines, but the headlines are definitely impossible to ignore. Um, I saw some headlines, there were headlines about huge companies preparing for cyber attacks. And then I saw one about Toyota in particular, they actually went ahead and suspended some of their actual operations after. They experienced a suspected cyber attack. So it's a real issue. It's going on. It's happening out there in the world as we speak. And while none of us, of course, are running businesses that are as large as Toyota, that doesn't mean that we're not at risk for being attacked. In a way, small businesses are perhaps more vulnerable since most of us, you know, we don't have a dedicated security team, we don't have people working around the clock to make sure that we're safe. So I thought this would be a really fitting time on our episode here today to go through some digital security essentials. And again, this it, it feels so like trivial in a way, when you think about the situation that's going on in Ukraine itself, but deep breath. When it comes to cyber attacks, take my word for it, it can happen to you. So I've been working with clients online for over nine years now. I have seen it firsthand. I have had numerous uh, business owners come to me and they have been looking for help with cleaning up their hacked websites. It happens a lot. And let me just say this, An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure when it comes to digital security. And honestly, there is no way to be 100% protected from the threat of a cyber attack or getting hacked. Because, of course, if there was, don't you think like Toyota would have had that, you know, taken care of? So there's really no way to be 100% protected, but there are a lot of fairly simple, straightforward measures that you can take to mitigate your risk. And I will say that nine times out of 10, when I think back to the hacks that I've personally seen in my years, so like the hacks I've cleaned up or helped clients with, the protective measures that we're going to talk about here today, they would have likely worked and put an end to the threat in those cases. So without further ado, let's get started started. I want you to be protected out there in the world, okay? So digital security tip number one, take ownership. I want to remind you guys of something. You are in the driver's seat. You're the owner, the founder, the creator, the CEO of your brand, right? Well, then you need to take responsibility and make sure that you know what's going on inside your business. Seems obvious, right? Seems like common sense, but you would be surprised. So you need to figure out what's going on inside your business because most solopreneurs and super small micro business owners don't have separate tech, IT, or like security, cybersecurity departments, you know? So it's really up to you to step up and oversee everything when it comes to making sure that you're protected. You should always know who has access to your stuff and what they have access to. I have seen some of my clients hire consultants, for example. So maybe they hire someone to create and publish content for their website, or they give them access to their social media accounts. And, you know, these consultants, they're given access to everything. If they're publishing content, they're given access to the entire back end of the website. And, of course, that's usually fine. You know, they need that in order to perform what is expected and required of them. But what typically ends up happening is I see see the consultant go bye-bye, so the consultant and the business owner, um, they eventually you know go their separate ways, yet the consultant still has access to the back end of the website months or even years later. Now clearly, if the consultant wanted to be vicious and do something bad, they wouldn't have to try very hard because their access was never revoked, so of course that's a huge security hole. Of course, I like to think that most of the time people are good and just because they have access to your website or your social media accounts or whatever, uh, they would never do anything bad or anything malicious. But this is still an issue, even if they are good people, because it's just one more account that's out there in the world that has access to all your stuff, right? I suppose if you are giving someone access to your social media you actually have the account. But if they have the password, that's not good. But like, when it comes to website stuff, if you gave them a separate account so they have their own login info and that's just floating around out there, you know, and that ends up falling into the wrong hands, like maybe it has a weak password associated with it or something like that. Well, of course, that becomes a huge issue for you and it could easily have been prevented if you had just revoked the person's access the moment that you stopped working together. Of course, this depends on the size of the business and what you've got going on, but for most of the people that I work with, I recommend performing an audit where this is concerned once to twice per year to make sure that no one ends up slipping through the cracks. And on this whole taking ownership note, as well. Well, you should also be completely aware of what you have set up, what software you're running, where you have accounts like registered at, and so on. And I always recommend making a spreadsheet of everything you have that's related to your business. I know spreadsheets aren't for everyone, but I really think it's the most effective way to manage it. If the word spreadsheet scares you, call it a table, right? Basically the same thing. And in this table or spreadsheet or whatever, include the name of the account, the website, the software, whatever, you know, what it's used for, the cost, the renewal date those sorts of things, whatever's applicable here. And then the spreadsheet or table is important because as your business grows and you continue to require more and more stuff for your business, more software, more accounts, more apps, stuff like that, it's really easy to forget everything that you have associated with it. It's kind of like you know your real life wallet or purse. So if your wallet was stolen right now, Would you know for a fact which credit cards were in that wallet so you could report them as stolen? Or would you be scratching your head because you have no idea exactly what was inside your wallet? With not keeping track of what accounts and such you have online associated with your business, practically speaking, this can be an issue because maybe you don't have something on auto renewal and it ends up lapsing or something. Or maybe you have something on auto renewal, but you aren't even using it anymore and you end up paying hundreds of dollars for something even though you haven't used it in like two years. You know what I mean? From a digital security perspective, it's just a good practice to have a working knowledge of all of your accounts as well. You should know what they are, what's going on with them, and so on. It's all about taking ownership and knowing what's up, what's going on. So you absolutely have to start there. Don't try to pass that responsibility off onto someone else because no, like it's all about you, baby. Okay, now let's move on to our digital security tip number two, keep your software up to date. So keeping your software up to date is crucial because most software updates contain security patches that fix up a vulnerability that was previously identified. And software vulnerabilities are basically little flaws in the software and the coding. And hackers love to take advantage of them. You hear all the time, or at least I do because I'm a nerd and I'm in this world, you hear all the time about hackers exploiting vulnerabilities. Now, most of us probably aren't in the habit of looking at the like change logs that are available when we update again I I look at them because I'm a nerd but you probably don't if you do look at the change logs however you find some pretty interesting stuff a lot of the times you'll see something in the change log that mentions the new version of the software contains various security fixes and then there's usually like a link where you can read more about them Again, you don't do this because you're not a nerd like me, but I do. So for example here, if you look at the security fixes in Firefox version 93.0, we're going to get a little techie, but don't worry. There's not going to be a quiz on this later. But Firefox version 93.0, I just picked this out randomly. This came out back in October. I can see by looking at the changelog that they fixed a whole host of vulnerabilities. They get pretty technical like BUG1726621, through use of report validity and window open, a plain text validation message could have been overlaid on another origin, leading to possible user confusion and spoofing attacks tech stuff, but that does not sound good. So Firefox fixed this vulnerability in version 93.0. And pretty much every software out there has vulnerabilities like these. It's basically unheard of to never have any vulnerabilities because tech is always changing. So this isn't unique to Firefox. I just pick them at random. There's going to be vulnerabilities with any software that you encounter. And so it's really important to get into the habit of downloading the latest version because these little flaws, these vulnerabilities are fixed. Like, just imagine if you were running software that you hadn't updated since like 2000. First of all, it probably wouldn't work, but second of all, it would be extremely insecure because it would have so many vulnerabilities that, you know, they need to be repaired, they need to be patched. So protect yourself by keeping everything up to date, and this applies to everything from your internet browser, to your apps, to your operating system. When it comes to your website, if you are using a closed source software like Squarespace, you don't really have much control over this as Squarespace performs the updates for you. That's what happens usually in a closed source environment. But if you're using an open source software, like a self-hosted WordPress website, well then it's extra crucial to make sure that you are putting in the effort and the action to keep your stuff up to date because you are responsible for this. There's no team that's going to do it for you, unless you hire one, right? Now you can generally turn auto updates on, which personally I don't really like, but I'm not going to get into that here. But Just make sure that you're aware that if you're using a self-hosted WordPress site, you are responsible for updates. Make sure you stay on top of them. And if you're not sure what any of this tech talk about website building platforms means, but you're curious, highly recommend checking out episode six, website building platforms, review and comparison. That's the name of the episode. Check it out, baby. All right, let's move on to digital security tip number three back up everything. And I do mean everything. Phones, laptops, your website, important emails, tax documents, passwords, everything should be backed up. Mark your calendars because March 31st is World Backup Day, and I didn't even know that that existed until I was putting together the notes for this episode. So their website, worldbackupday.com, offers some really great and interesting statistics. I love my statistics. I hope you do too. So 21% of people have never made a backup. 113 phones are lost or stolen every minute. That's a lot. 29% of data loss is caused by accident, and 30% of all computers are already infected with malware. Oh, happy day, right? Well, of course, sometimes the threat isn't so malicious. You know, sometimes your hard drive or computer just wears out, bites the dust, and you lose your data. I haven't had that happen to me, but I know people personally who that has happened to. I also know people whose laptops have gotten stolen. So yes, it is a problem, and that's why you should do a backup. And then sometimes when it comes to online stuff, data loss is due to just not being on top of your stuff. We kind of already talked about this, right? I've had clients come to me because their websites were erased and the only reason that they were erased is because they failed to renew their account with Shopify or Squarespace or their web host or whatever and they didn't have a backup and their whole website is gone. And that's why take ownership. That was tip number one here in our episode today because simply being on top of what's going on in your business can prevent a lot of hardship. Now, as far as backup methods go, you know, you can back stuff up on an external hard drive, uh, like a thumb drive, USB drive. There's the cloud, even physical copies, which, of course, you know, isn't going to work for everything. You can't back your website up on a physical sheet of paper, but, you know, that's certainly a good idea when it comes to physical documents like tax records and stuff. You should have a digital copy. You should also have a printed copy that's stored in a safe location. And then there are also, of course, backup services, some of which may already be included in what you've got going on and what you already are paying for. For example, some of the better web hosts now, they offer backups that are included in their plans. In my opinion, you should also be doing routine manual backups in addition to that, but having automated backups running in between times is wonderful reassurance and, you know, the more the merrier with the backups, right? That's what I always say. I've never said that, but that's how I feel. All right, let's move on. Digital security tip number four, use safe passwords. Using safe passwords is crucial and you guys, you would be shocked, you would be appalled at how not secure most people's passwords really are. And I know this because I routinely have to acquire login details including passwords from clients in order to do my job. So if you're one of the people out there that uses the word password in your password or your name, or your brand name, or 123, listen up, because those are absolutely terrible passwords. You, you can't do that, okay? You gotta stop with using password as a password. And passwords that use the name of your family members or your birth date or something like that, those are also to be avoided. I hate to break it to you, but those details scarily enough may not be as confidential as you think. So just keep that in mind if your password is like the name of your significant other or something like that. And it's also a best practice to avoid keyword combinations that look random, but actually aren't. For example, the password ASDFGH987. Seems random, right? But if you have a keyboard nearby, check it out and you're going to find that the combination actually isn't so random. It's just like part of home row, right? ASDFGH and then 987. Those are just three numbers that are right next to each other on the keyboard. So... Not so random after all. The best passwords are unique and contain a combination of words, numbers, symbols, and uppercase and lowercase letters. Length is important. There's an innuendo in there for sure, but I'm not going to acknowledge it. Length is important because, sadly enough, it's becoming increasingly more doable for bad guys to build password-cracking tools that have the ability to try millions of potential password combos in very short amounts of time. So there's an article I actually found uh, while researching this episode. It's from 10 years ago, feels like just yesterday, but this article mentions a computer cluster that has the ability to cycle through as many as 350 billion password guesses per second. Like, what? That's a lot of passwords, right? I can't believe that. And that was in 2012. So, like, who knows what's possible now? I have no idea. I don't want to know. The fact is, the more characters you add to your password, the less likely it's going to be to crack. So I'm talking like 16 characters. Yes. Make it long. Length matters. Also, make sure you aren't using the same password for every account you have. I know, I know it's sad. I know, I know it's kind of hard to make the change if you've been using the same password that you used since like 2005 for everything, but, you know, changing it up, making sure you don't use the same password over and over and over again, it's going to potentially save you a lot of hardship down the road, okay? Okay. So change those passwords up, make them long, don't make them easy to guess. Okay, let's move on to digital security tip number five, set up two-factor authentication. Two-factor authentication. Mhm. It's honestly a little bit of a pain in the booty, but it can certainly protect you so it's definitely worth setting up and this is something I'm really recommending more and more strongly, especially with all the stuff that's going on in the world right now. So This is an extra step that is added to the login process. For example, normally you would just log in to something with your username and your password and you'd be in, right? Well, with two-factor authentication, what happens is you log in with your username and your password and then you also have to verify your login by way of a code on your phone or other verification method. Now, for a lot of stuff online, two-factor authentication seems to be automatically enabled. For example, if you try to log into your Google account from a device that you don't typically use or you're logging in from a new location, you'll probably be prompted to verify your login. I think that you can turn this off with Google if you don't like it, but honestly, it's a good feature to have, so might as well keep it on, right? I know there are similar things with social media accounts and stuff like that as well. For your website, you usually have to turn two-factor authentication on yourself and set it up. For example, self-hosted WordPress sites can use a WordFence plugin to install this feature. If you're using Squarespace, you can turn it on and set it up in your account dashboard. And this is likely the case for other platforms as well. You're typically going to need to download an authenticator app, and then after enabling two-factor authentication, you're going to need to access the app when you log in to grab your authentication code. Again, the setup is a little bit of a pain, and it can be annoying to have to check your app for a code like every time that you log in, but you can usually modify the settings so you don't have to do the authentication thing every time you log in. Sometimes you can change it to only go off like every 30 days or something like that. And this is, like I said, one of the things that I'm really recommending people do right now. A lot of people don't have this set up on everything that they could. So if you don't have two-factor authentication set up on your website or whatever account, definitely look into making it happen. Just go do it, okay? Okay, let's move on to digital security tip number six. Be on alert for suspicious emails. We all know about the Nigerian print scam, right? Well, long before the Tinder swindler... Although kind of in the same vein, we had the Nigerian Prince email scam. This was apparently one of the first to flourish on the internet and it's still going on today. People are still making money with the Nigerian Prince scam, which is really unfortunate. So if you don't know the premise here really quickly, the Nigerian Prince emails you and he poses as a person of wealth and position. You know, he's he's the Nigerian prince. And guess what? He needs your help. More specifically, he needs your bank account number for a small advance payment. And if you help him, you're going to get a reward of a large sum of money for your assistance. That's what he's saying. That's what he's promising. Now, of course, this is all a scam because in reality, if you give the Nigerian prince your bank account info, and spoiler alert, the Nigerian prince is not an actual Nigerian prince in case you hadn't caught on, but if you give him your bank account info, if you send that info to whoever is emailing you, well, your bank account is going to get drained and also there is no reward for you, only a big fat zero in your account. Now, most of us online these days are wise to the scam of the Nigerian prince. We've been around the block. We know that he is no good. And a lot of email scams are very blatant and obvious that, that they are scams. So, you know, you can usually weed a lot of these out pretty quickly and ignore them. But honestly, these email schemes are growing more and more elaborate and believable over time. The scammers have adapted because they know the Nigerian print stuff isn't going to fly, So the grammar in the emails are getting better. They seem more like a non-scammer is behind them. You know, I actually just got an email the other day last week and I'm like, you know, like, I don't know. This seems kind of weird. It could be legit. I'm honestly still not 100% sure, but I always go with my gut on this. So if it seems kind of weird, kind of like a scam, probably is a scam, you know? Anyway, email scammers really rely on us normal folks who aren't scammers not being savvy to their ways. So my first advice is to always do a Google search with keywords that describe the email to see if there's anyone online talking about it, to see if this is a scam that is really making the rounds. For example, there was this sextortion email scam making the rounds a couple years ago. And the premise was something like the scammers had installed a virus on a website that contained X-rated videos. And somehow they were able to activate your webcam. And because of that, you know, they said in this email, like, oh yeah, like we've obtained video of you uh, you know, like doing your thing. And the email said that if you would send these people money or Bitcoin or whatever, they would keep that video of you doing your thing under wraps. Otherwise, if you didn't pay, they'd make the video public, they'd ruin your reputation, your business would go down the drain, something like that. You get the point. The scary thing about this sextortion scam was that, of course, like a lot of people, you know, they watch X-rated videos online, right? So the whole premise sounds very plausible and it really freaked a lot of people out. And I bring this up because it's really important to keep your cool and remain level-headed if you get an email like this. I know people that got this one and they were freaking out. And they asked my advice about the email, like, what should I do? So I did a simple Google search, like, Bitcoin sextortion email, and I was easily able to figure out that it's 1000% a scam and the receiver of the email has nothing to worry about. So yeah, like in some cases, it's as simple as that to figure out it's a scam. But of course, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, email scammers are relying on us to let our guard down, let our emotions really get the best of us, and throw logic and common sense out the window. So if you get a weird email like this and your first reaction is like oh my god like I can't believe this is happening to me take a step back take a deep breath and get on google hop on google and see if this is happening to anyone else because a lot of times it is a well-known scam these people really don't have anything on you you know (laughs) they're just trying to trick you and fool you into giving them your hard-earned dollars so yeah be really careful with emails that you get that seem like they're kind of out of left field don't open anything if it looks suspicious or is unexpected even if it says it's coming from a name you recognize we're going to talk about this in a minute it's called spoofing and i've had emails come in from people i worked with years ago you know the name that the email was from, and the email address was from this person that I had worked with a while ago, and they c- had clearly gotten their email hacked, and the email was not legit. Now, it was pretty obvious that the email wasn't legit, but the sender looked legit. So, you want to really be cautious in situations like that. Be cautious and careful with links and attachments because those things can contain malware or they can lead you to someplace malicious. And with hyperlinks, if you're on a laptop or desktop computer, you can typically hover over the link to see where the link is really going to go because it's easier than you think to make it look like you're clicking a link to paypal.com or something, but the actual destination is like paypal.xyz or something else. Else, that is totally not legit and is totally a bad place. And like so many topics we talk about on this podcast, email scams could be a topic for its own episode that could be really fun. I don't know, maybe it, it isn't so much strategy as it is fun, so I don't know if it has a place on this podcast. But anyway, we've got a bit more to cover here, so we're going to move on from that for now because I think you get the gist about email scams. So let's move on to digital security tip number seven, prevent email spoofing. Mentioned this a minute ago, but let's dive into it more. What is email spoofing? It involves the creation of email messages with a forged sender address. So emails could look like they're coming from you at yourcustomdomain.com, like that email, but they actually aren't. You aren't actually the sender. Scary, right? Because email spoofing can trick people They think that a legit company is emailing them something important, but in reality it's a bad guy with ill intent. And there's a lot of different things that you can do to prevent your email address from being used in this type of scam. And some of these are quite technical, I'm not going to get into them all here, but I do want to mention this and I just kind of want to skim the surface here. So if you've listened to episode 13, that episode was about setting up a custom domain name email, which is something you really should have in order to look professional online. Well, if you listen to that episode, then you probably already have an email address like you at your domain.com. If you have this, you want to set up some additional records to prevent against email spoofing. And these records are called SPF, DKIM, and DMARC records, and I'm not gonna bore you with all of the details on what these are here. To be honest, I don't know what they stand for off the top of my head, although I do set them up on a regular basis, but I just want you to make a a note right now to check into properly configuring these records because it's really important, okay? The records are called SPF, DKIM, and DMARC and they aren't super difficult to set up, so don't worry about that. You can always hire someone like me to help you, but just saying, (laughs) just make a note of it for right now and look into it, okay? DKIM, DMARC, and SPF. And then one super easy tip, super easy, way way easier than setting up records, So, one super easy tip for preventing email spoofing that I have also heard is use a throwaway account when registering for certain stuff online. So, this can help prevent your important email address from appearing in lists that are used for sending spoofed emails out in bulk because sometimes you sign up for something online and, I don't know, like maybe they get hacked or something and your email address ends up on this, like, bad, like, spoofing list or something. I honestly, I don't know how all of that works, but I do think it's a good idea anyway to just kind of use, like, a throwaway account when registering for stuff online, okay? Email spoofing is just weird. It's complex, but those two tips, the records and using a throwaway account to register for certain stuff, that's going to point you in the right direction for protecting yourself, okay? Okay. Let's move on now to digital security tip number eight. Yes, this episode is a little bit longer, okay? But tip number eight is be mindful of where you store sensitive data. Okay, if you're doing business online, you're probably collecting some form of customer or client data. And most of us, if we're collecting payment, we're using PayPal or Stripe or something like that. And in that case, you know, we aren't directly handling credit card data. But name, email address, phone, mailing address, those are still examples of customer data. And it's important to do what you can to protect it. A lot of the other tips that we've talked about already, uh, those are all going to help you protect your customer or client data, and there's also something to be said for being cautious with any third parties you share your customer data or any sensitive data with because they may not be 100% safe. Now, this isn't necessarily client data, but there was a case a few years ago where people were using Trello which is a list-making application for organization and collaboration. They were using Trello to store passwords. Now, I will say people should not be storing passwords on Trello in the first place, But it was really bad because it turns out that because Trello boards can be public in some cases and indexable by search engines, some of this password data that people had in their Trello boards was public to anyone that went out of their way to look for it. So make dang sure that if you are storing sensitive data somewhere, that you're putting it in a safe place. Otherwise, that's just a whole mess waiting to happen, right? All right, and we have made it to our last digital security tip. Tip number nine perform audits often, okay? So don't wait until the last minute when it comes to digital security. You really need to be on top of this. Like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. You don't want to wait till your website gets hacked or your like locked out of your social media or your email gets compromised to deal with your digital security. You need to do it today. Okay. So regularly change your passwords. Make sure your software is up to date. Make sure that you are up to date and knowledgeable about anything more that you have to do. Technology, it changes super quickly, and so does digital security and what you need to do to stay on top of it, okay? So make a commitment to staying on top of your stuff. Make a commitment to not only protecting your information and data, but also your customer and client's data. Now, we've only scratched the surface here with our security tips, but I hope that this gave you a good place to start. And honestly, if you follow these tips that we've discussed here, you're going to be in a much better place than a lot of people out there. You know, I mentioned it earlier, but most people do not even keep safe passwords. And two-factor authentication is definitely not a blip on their radar if their password is password, you know what I mean? So, you know, you can imagine how poor and or non-existent the rest of a lot of people's digital security strategy is. So... Don't let that be you. Stay on top of your stuff, okay? And that's going to wrap up another episode of Bite Size Strategy. I hope this was helpful because I want you to be safe out there on the interwebs. I want you to do what you're doing in a safe and awesome way, okay? and if you like this episode and you're interested in learning more snackable bites like this follow the podcast on your favorite platform we're on apple we're on spotify we are on google and we are also on iheart radio so follow along you can even give us a review as long as it's good of course all right you guys thank you so much for listening that's a wrap and i will see you next week